gather round people, listen to my song. About something most of you agree is just wrong. There ain't no place left on this earth to discover. So please don't frag my mother. Don't frag me. Don't frag me. Don't frag my mother. Cause I ain't got no other. Don't frag my mother. You can do anything that you want to do. But don't frag my mother. Listen if you will. You can't tell a man where to stick his drill. The cow don't know what's good for her others. So I'm going to frack your mother. Don't frack me. Don't frack me. Don't frack my mother. This world to get hotter, and we can't afford polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons in our water. Teratogens, carcinogens, enough to make you shudder. So please don't frag my mother. Don't frag me. Don't frag me. Don't frag. Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy, and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit, coming at you live, local, and in your face here on WDBX. 91.1 FM, Community Radio for Southern Illinois. And that song you just heard today was Don't Frack My Mother by Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono and the Itis Against Fracking.
Okay, let's get into some of the news for today. My name is Treesaw, and I will be your host. Or is still off on his out-of-the-country adventures. He'll be back again someday. But in the meantime, we, for better or worse, we've got plenty of news to share. Now, that song, Don't Freck, My Mother, uh, that was that was going out to the Illinois General Assembly, to the fracking industry, to the Illinois Environmental Council, and to everyone involved in crafting and promoting this fracking regulation bill. And if you haven't heard, our top news item for today is Illinois Fracking Bill Passes. SB 1715, the Illinois Fracking Bill, passed the House on Thursday night, 108 votes to 9 votes. In response to the final vote, Dr. Steingraber stood up and denounced the bill, which now advances to the Senate. Quote, the fracking emperor has no clothes, said Steingraber, an Illinois native and distinguished scholar in residence, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, in the Department of Environmental Studies and Science at Ithaca College, who testified last week at a House committee hearing. Quote, the regulatory bill now before the assembly was drafted under the guidance of the Illinois Attorney General behind closed doors with no public hearings, no public comment period, no input from scientists or physicians or public health officials, without environmental studies or health impact assessment. These rules are arbitrary compromises based on negotiations with industry. They guarantee neither public health nor environmental integrity. Now, it's kind of impressive, actually. I mean, if you got a few people in a room together discussing the bill, you got to put some effort into it to ensure that there are no scientists in the room, no physicians, no public health officials. They were very thorough in ensuring that none of those types of people were included in the process. And, of course, also not included in the process were Southern Illinoisans were concerned about fracking. Since the governor and the bill negotiators refused to visit a fracking operation, citizens delivered letters from impacted fracking and frac sand mining residents from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Iowa. They delivered these to Governor Quinn and Attorney General Madigan. Denied a meeting with Governor Pat Quinn after months of requests, Southern Illinoisans Against Fracturing Our Environment representatives Tabitha Tripp and Dana Connor finally gained an 11th hour meeting with Vakav Murali, Quinn's Assistant Chief of Staff of Legislative Affairs. Quote, the Governor's aide confirmed there is no contingency plan for our children or their health and well-being down the road in the land of Lincoln, Tripp said. When the jobs don't pan out and the water is toxic, we will have traded away our children's future for fossil fuels. In fact, it was mind-boggling to hear that Quinn's legislative aide, they divulged that neither he, nor the governor, nor most of the negotiators of the admittedly flawed regulatory bill, had ever found the time over the past year to make a fact-finding visit of the hydraulic fracking or nearby frack mining operation. In a line, without any independent scientists or health experts or impacted residents at the negotiating table, such a head-in-sand revelation is an unconscionable act of negligence that will ultimately define Quinn's legacy. Yeah, this does seem pretty remarkable to me. You know, even if you, for whatever reason, support this uh, this practice to, in the process of defining the regulations, to not include physicians, medical doctors, scientists, residents in the affected region. Uh, I mean, I know I, I will admit I'm not a legislator. I don't necessarily know all of the ins and outs of writing legislation for the state of Illinois, but clearly some of our legislators don't either. 
In other news, we have some other fracking-related news. Fracking accident leaks benzene into Colorado stream. Once again, Colorado's fracking boom has residents wondering if there's something in the water. Carcinogenic benzene, in this case. A plant, a plant for fracked natural gas processor Williams Energy near Parachute, Colorado, spilled an estimated 241 barrels of mixed natural gas liquid into the ground, some of which eventually washed, at, washed up as benzene into the Parachute Creek. More than two months after the spill was discovered, neighbors of the plant are wondering why the energy company is being put in charge of the cleanup, and why the state has failed to issue any fines. Benzene levels in Parachute Creek rose above a safe-to-drink five parts per billion following the spill, which was caused by a faulty pressure gauge on a four-inch pipeline. The safety limit for benzene in Colorado drinking water sources is five parts per billion, but the state doesn't define the creek as a source of drinking water, and the limit for such water bodies is 5,300 parts per billion. That seems a little strange to me that it's five parts per billion if we're going to drink it, and 5,300 parts per billion if it's going to go on our lands and all of the animals and plants around us are going to drink it. Anyway, less than two miles downstream from the Williams Energy Plant, headgates that control the flow of water from Parachute Creek into an irrigation reservoir have been closed since the spill was discovered. So yeah, it's going from this creek into an irrigation reservoir, so it may actually matter whether or not there is a thousand times more benzene than is safe for humans to drink. elections in Washington state are a big deal for coal industry and global climate. The adage, think global, act local, rings remarkably true in Whatcom County, Washington, a rural area in the northwestern corner of the country. The seven county council members that will be, that are there, will play a big role in deciding how much coal gets dug up in Great Plains states, shipped out of America, and burned by developing countries. Over the next two years, the council will decide whether to issue two permits needed for the planned $600 million Gateway Pacific Terminal, which would export massive amounts of coal from Wyoming and Montana to Asia. In doing so, these council members will help determine the very future of the world's climate. So it's a big deal that Whatcom County voters will be electing four new council members this November. I thought I'd mention that one both because it's a climate-related story and because it's a story about the importance of being involved in your local area. You know, a lot of people may think, oh, county elections, city elections, you know, who, who knows, who cares what's going on with all that? Well, sometimes these things actually have consequences. So it's good to be aware of what's going on in your community, in your county, in your state, and on your planet.
And in other news, illegal Monsanto GM wheat found in Oregon. A farmer in Oregon found a patch of wheat growing like a weed where it wasn't expected. So the farmer sprayed it with the herbicide Roundup. Surprisingly, some of the wheat survived. The startled farmer sent samples of the renegade wheat to a laboratory, which confirmed something that should have been impossible. The wheat was a genetically engineered variety that had never been approved to be grown in the U.S., nor anywhere in the world. From the New York Times, the Agriculture Department said the wheat was of a type developed by Monsanto to be resistant to the herbicide Roundup, also known as glyphosate. Such wheat was field tested in 16 states, including Oregon, from 1998 through 2005. But Monsanto dropped the project before the wheat was ever approved for commercial planting. The department said it was not known yet whether any of the wheat had gotten into the food supply or into grain shipments. Even if it did, officials said, it would pose no threat to health. The Food and Drug Administration reviewed the wheat and found no safety problems with it in 2004. Still, the mere presence of the genetically modified plant could cause some countries to turn away exports of American wheat, especially if any traces of the unapproved grain were found in shipments. About 8.1 billion in American wheat was exported in 2012, representing nearly half the total $17.9 billion crop, according to U.S. Wheat Associates, which promotes American wheat abroad. About 90% of Oregon's wheat crop is exported. Now, this reminds me of all those times I've heard all of the proponents of genetic modification saying, oh, it, it's all under control, it's all safe, you know, it's not going to cross-pollinate out into the natural world, it's going to be controlled, you know, especially in these experiments, none of our experiments will get out of our test areas. Well, the wheat seems to have other ideas. Sometimes nature has a mind of its own, and sometimes the wheat gets out into the wild. In other news, as world marches against Monsanto, senators protected from labeling laws. Any U.S. senators paying attention to what was happening in the entire world over the weekend may have noticed a teensy disconnect between their protectionist votes for Monsanto and global discontent with GMO giants. On last Saturday, protesters in dozens of countries took to the streets to march against Monsanto, a coordinated day of action against genetic engineering and reprehensible business practices by the Missouri-based company, came just two days after the Senate rejected a bid by Senator Bernie Sanders to ensure that his state and others are free to mandate labels on transgenic food. First to the protests, organizers tallied rallies in 436 cities 
across 52 countries. The March Against Monsanto movement began just a few months ago when founder and organizer Tammy Canal created a Facebook page on February 28th, calling for a rally against the company's practices. Quote, if I had gotten 3,000 people to join me, I would have considered that a success, she said Saturday. Instead, she said an incredible number of people responded to her message and turned out to the rally. Protesters marched in Buenos Aires and other cities in Argentina, where Monsanto's genetically modified soy and grains now command nearly 100% of the market, and the company's Roundup-ready chemicals are sprayed throughout the year on fields where cows once grazed. They carried signs saying, Monsanto, get out of Latin America. In Portland, thousands of protesters took the, to the Oregon streets. Police estimated about 6,000 protesters took part in Portland's peaceful march, and about 300 attended the rally in Bend. Other marches were scheduled in Baker City, Coos Bay, Eugene, Grant Pass, Medford, Portland, Prineville, and Redmond. Across the country in Orlando, about 800 people gathered with signs, pamphlets, and speeches in front of City Hall. Marianne Wilson of Clement, Florida, said she learned about Monsanto and genetically modified food by watching documentaries on YouTube. So that's a little bit from the protesters, now a little bit of news from what the senators were up to. The Senate's overwhelmingly rejected an amendment that would allow states to require labeling of genetically modified food. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont said his amendment was an attempt to clarify that states can require the labels, as several legislators, legislatures have moved toward putting such laws into place. The Vermont House and the Connecticut Senate voted this month to make food companies declare genetically modified ingredients on their packages. The Senate rejected the amendment on a 71 to 27 vote during the debate on a wide-ranging five-year farm bill that includes generous support for crops like corn and soybeans that are often genetically modified varieties. Senators from farm states that use a lot of genetically modified crops strongly opposed the amendment, saying the issue should be left up to the federal government and that labels could raise costs for consumers. Because, you know, why would consumers want to know what is actually in the food that they are consuming? All right, we are back, and we actually have a guest caller with us. Let's see if our guest caller can hear us. Uh, or can you hear us Good out day. there in radio land? Well, I found a Wi-Fi place. I'm actually in Rio de Janeiro right now on, um, what is it, in Copacabana, <laughs> on the beach of Ipanema. 
Oh, sounds like a fun place to be. Well, it's pouring rain, so... But it's still fun. So, it took me a little while to find uh, open Wi-Fi. All right, well, I'm glad you're able to make it in for at least part of the show. So what's the big news today? Before you uh, called in, we were talking about the fracking story. I don't know if you've heard this yet, actually. The uh, Illinois bill... Oh, yeah, here... I was reading that the... Passed a state with very little... Well, was there any actual scientific input to the state fracking bill at all? Uh, no, that was one thing we discussed. There were no scientists, no doctors, no physicians, uh, no... And there were actually, you know, representatives of the Southern Illinoisans who were concerned about fracking. So a lot of people didn't get their voices heard in that decision. So, I mean, is, is it actually in any way a regulatory bill, or is it just in name only? <laughs> well, it depends on who you talk to. The, the people who supported it say it's, it's the strongest regulation ever crafted, and the people who oppose it right. say it's, it's not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's making national news. I mean, I've read it about it from, you know, a lot of other places, too. So. Yeah. That's one concern, too, that I didn't get to mention in the article, is that this may set a precedent for other areas. They may see how this was pushed through in Illinois and then decide, oh, we can have fracking in our state, too. Correct, yeah. Like, we're creating a regulatory bill. I mean, regulation. Uh, all right. Hmm. Let's see how it goes, huh? Yeah, we'll definitely be following that story and have any updates as they come in. Uh, let's, we've got enough time for a little bit of news and happenings. Let's mention one about climate. In this news, support for climate action is the new normal in the U.S. Pick 100 Americans at random and line them up. Ask them who? Ask them uh, excuse me. <laughs> Ask those who think the country shouldn't do a damn thing to rein in its greenhouse gas emissions to please step forward. Do you know how many would step forward if you asked that? Six. Just six out of every 100 Americans believe there is absolutely no need for the U.S. to take action to reduce its emissions to help combat climate change. That's according to the latest survey results from an ongoing project that tracks public attitudes toward climate change. The project is run by Yale's Project on Climate Change Communication and the George Mason University Center for Climate Change Communication. Now, I like that figure because, you know, people put out these other figures of, like, you know, how sure are we, you know, we're kind of sure, we're not entirely sure, but this shows that there's only six out of every hundred people who think that we should do absolutely nothing. And yet here we have... Uh, if we take, took the same poll of legislators, I, I think it would be a little bit different of a balance. So, yeah, there you have it. Six people out of a hundred who think that we should not take action on climate change. So it means the rest are concerned. The finding is a reminder that resistance to green energy in America is not created by its people, but by the global fossil fuels companies that pollute its land and water. 
All right, we just got a few minutes left, so let's go ahead and get to some of these holidays. And or are you still with us out there? I can kind of hear you. Fading huh. in and out. So. Okay. So yeah, let's go ahead and get to some of these holidays. Coming up, we have uh, World No Tobacco Day coming up on Friday today. I think that's that's an interesting one there. <laughs> Not sure what to say about that one. You know, I believe in people's free choice to uh, do to consume what they choose to, but I know there's a lot of health consequences associated with it. Also coming up on Saturday, we have National Go Barefoot Day. And it's Say Something Nice Day, so if you see someone going barefoot, you can say something nice about it. We also have the birthday of Marilyn Monroe. Coming up on Sunday, we have uh, National Leave the Office Early Day. So if you're in the office on Sunday, for whatever reason, you get to leave the office early. All right, let's, we're almost out of time, so let's get back to some of these happenings. We have the Brown Bay Concert and Lunch Series coming up every Wednesday at 12 p.m. this summer at the Town Square Pavilion in Carbondale. It's an opportunity for local musicians to play a free concert there and for everyone else in Carbondale to come and listen. Also at the Town Square Pavilion, there is the Friday Night Fair every Friday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Town Square Pavilion. It's free live music, food court, farmer's market, information from local organizations, flea market, regional crafts and arts, vendors of all kinds, and more. It's a family-friendly setting with lots of fun free music. And this week's music is by the Jewels. So coming up, we also have Open Mic Night over at Guy House. Open Mic Night at 7 p.m. Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois in Carbondale. They are, yes, they are still doing that over the summer, at least so far. And everyone is invited, poets, musicians, storytellers, dancers, and more. It's a good time over there at Open Mic. And I wanted to be sure, let's see, we've got two farmer's markets. We've got the Farmer's Market on Saturday, 8 a.m. to noon at the West Town Mall parking lot. We also have we also have the Farmer's Market on the other side of town at the Carbonale Community High School from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I want to be sure to mention this new one, this new happening that we just got news of uh, just a couple days ago. It's Saturday Night Music. It's happening on Saturday, June 8th from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m at 218 North Illinois in Carbondale. Saturday Night Music is a monthly entertainment event for teenagers and families featuring live music by young bands, local DJs, and awesome concessions. It's a safe and fun environment free of drugs, alcohol, and smoking. Next event is on Saturday, June 8th from 7 to 10 p.m. at 218 North Illinois in Carbondale. So that's an exciting one, you know, something fun, musical, <clears throat> social entertaining for young people to do that doesn't involve drinking or drugs or any of that kind of stuff. All right, well, that's pretty much all the time we have for here at your community spirit. Uh, or if you're still out there, do you have any final parting words? 
Um, well, it's interesting to see all the alternative fuels here. And actually, in Copacabana, they've got a bicycle rental program that's very prolific, you know, primarily for the tourists. But I'm taking a lot of notes, and I hope to talk about it. I actually had the tour uh, last Friday for five hours with the National Electric Company about their renewable energy program. So, will do. Yeah, sounds like you'll have a lot of exciting things to share when you get back. All right. All right. I'll we? talk to you later. Have yeah, a good we'll, one. Stay yeah, we'll talk to you later. And uh, we will talk to you later, too, as well. This is Tree Song here at Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio, WDBX. I hope this has been as exciting and informative for you as it has been for me. And we will see you here next week on the radio.